So the money that I had invested in the rent, I had paid for two years rent in that particular establishment, in that shopping complex or a business complex. So I stayed there at the end of the first year. I was not able to generate enough revenue to even pay the first year rent. Okay, so which means I'm not able to recover. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Join our community to claim your podcast listener discount on my Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, where students learn how to value companies like a pro and advance their career. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join the community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Emmanuel Michael, or let's just call him E.M. E.M., are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> yes, yeah, perfect. I love it. I love it. Let me introduce you to the audience. Emmanuel okay. Michael, a leadership and career success coach, is a seasoned and highly sought after strategic business leader with over 20 years management experience spanning various industries such as multidisciplinary engineering, information technology, hospitality, and financial services, of which over 17 years have been in human resource management practice. Between March and August 2017, he held forth as the interim CEO and head of HR at Let's Say Co. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. MFB, a national microfinance bank in Nigeria. He is currently the head of human capital there. Emmanuel is also the founder and host of HR with EM, a platform to connect, learn, and share on everything leadership, career, development, and employee experience. He is fondly called the HR celebrity by the Nigerian HR community. EM, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Andrew. That was a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what is missing there now is uh, I'm married, I'm married, and then I have uh, a set of triplets. They were born 22 months ago, so October 2019. Wow. Yeah, so I said triplets, two boys, one lovely, beautiful girl. So you, you and your wife decided <laughs> we're just going to do it all in one go. Yeah, once, and then that's it. <laughs> so that is something that... I would like to share so yeah. for the audience to know, which that's most people don't. Some do, but not all do. So, so that's something that is missing there in that bio. Yeah. But, and it's been lovely, a great experience trying to bring them up. You know, every day I learn something new with the way I interact with them. So it's <laughs> like building a business. I shared recently about the patience that you need to bring up these children. It's like the same kind of patience you need to bring up your business. So when we talk about investment, you also need some sort of patience to get the investment to grow. So let's get it. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's hard enough to be a father of one kid at a time. Yeah, but yeah. To have three come along. At the same time, demanding the same thing, demanding the same energy. <laughs> so it's times three, everything you do. <laughs> what? Uh, at what point did you know that it was going to be triplets? Did you know uh, before? From, yeah, yeah. From, from when they were conceived. So mm -hmm. 
we are attending hospitals and then from time to time we we did the scan and we were told initially we were told they were going to be four you know and then somehow did another test then the doctors who were doing the test said ah, it looks as if it's three now it's no longer four so we we're still excited <laughs> but we were looking out for two you know so god decided to give us extra so that we don't have to <laughs> no more so that was it so we started planning from the onset when we knew they were going to be three but we didn't know the gender right. so i kept insisting i need to make sure there's a baby girl there it's not just only boys you mm. know because i love baby girls <laughs> exactly. so eventually god blessed us there was a baby girl and then there were two boys fantastic well that's exciting and that's a cool thing to learn about you and now yeah it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and tell us your story. Okay, so sometime in 2000, the year 2000, okay, so I had worked with uh, this multidisciplinary engineering company and there were some challenges, business was not good and there was need for me to start looking for something else to do. So. Early 2000, I started thinking of what to do. Before then, I used to visit the United States Information Service. That is what it was called then in the northern part of the country where I was resident, just to go and see what sort of business ideas, because I've always wanted to do business. So I kept visiting there. So I got some ideas. I got information about a company that deals in locks. So I made contact with that company that is in locks and I started looking for how do I sell these locks in Nigeria. So in 2000, when we had a challenge with the company that I was working for, business was no longer ongoing. We had to start look, looking for opportunity to find something else to do. I decided to say, okay, I think this is the time for me to now focus on this locks business. So I had saved up some money from other activities that I, I was doing. So I saved up quite a good chunk of money. I started to say, let me go full-blown into this business. So what did I do? I placed an order for some of the locks, okay, to be delivered. Then I went out to look for an office space. I got a very beautiful office space that had like a showroom in front where I can display the locks. I had all these beautiful display stands the showcase the the locks you know there were bicycle locks then car locks those were the different type of cable locks there were cable locks for bicycles for motorcycles and then for for cars so i got the the order arrived i displayed started looking for markets so i started looking for market after i've received the order got my office space then i tried to do some ad then I started going to visit car companies to discuss with them to see how they can sell the car lock, the pedal car lock as part of their accessories. Okay. So that whenever a customer comes to buy the car, these car locks will be included as part of the accessories to be sold to their customers. That was my intention. And that was the negotiations I was having with the, with the car companies. So they all showed great interest. But at the end of the day, what I discovered was that it didn't really happen. So maybe you get them by one, two, three, four, five. But I had a large stock of these car locks. Uh, I had a large stock of the, the bicycle locks and the motorcycle locks. So I also tried to look for car dealer, I mean, bicycle lo dealers 
bicycle dealers, motorcycle dealers, to see if they can also include it as part of their accessories that they sell to their to their clients. So that was basically what I did. When I saw that it wasn't moving, I decided to then go ahead, hire some sales agents who would go from shop to shop to see how they can sell the locks. I engage them on commission base. So if you sell, you get a commission paid for what you're able to sell. So they did quite some small sales, not as much as I wanted, and my rent was running. So the money that I had invested in the rent, I had paid for two years rent in that particular establishment, in that shopping complex or a business complex. So I stayed there at the end of the first year. I was not able to generate enough revenue to even pay the first year rent. Okay, so which means I'm not able to recover. Then we continued up until the end of the second year. Things were getting worse. Instead of getting better, they were getting worse. And uh, I couldn't recover my money. So I now sat down to look at what have I spent. Only to discover that as at that time, if we convert the, the Naira that I spent was over 2.5 million or so that I've invested in setting up the place and then outside the cost of even importing the, the product. So close to about 30 to 30,000 US dollars as at then in, in 2000. That's and a lot of money. That, yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of money, over, yeah. 20, over 20 to 30,000. Yep. So if you convert that in today, it's actually a very huge amount of money in Naira, okay? In today's uh, exchange rate, because the exchange rate then was about 100, 105 Naira to a dollar. And today, you have about 500 Naira to a dollar. So that would be five times if we were to convert that value today, five times that value. That was exactly what I lost. Okay? So it got to the point that because I couldn't generate enough money, I spent 24 months there, not enough money. The rent expired. The landlord now came to ask me to either renew the rent or move out. So either renew the rent or move out. And I didn't have money to renew the rent. So I was battling with looking for money to pay my house rent. Now I'm battling with looking for money to pay for the office space. That was a very big challenge. What do I do? At the end of the day, you know, the worst thing that happened was that I was actually ejected from that premises. Ejected in the sense that I couldn't even retrieve my the remaining part of the goods that were in the in, in that space, I couldn't retrieve them because I couldn't pay the rent. So the landlord said, okay, since you're not able to pay the rent, I'm going to keep uh, hold on to your properties, the furnitures, the remaining balance of the locks that were there until you're able to raise the money. Wow. And so at the end of the day, I just told the landlord, okay, maybe what we need to do is that you can take them, sell them off when you are able to sell them off you can give me whatever difference that you made that was how we had to <laughs> see that deal so i really lost so much you know lost the money lost the properties that, that were there because i couldn't get them back and that was far back in 2000 so after that i had to now began to instead of doing business i said to myself i think maybe it's not yet time for me to get into this kind of business maybe i need to look for a job so that was when i started looking for a formal job so that maybe if i need to get into business i need to do something different from what i've just done so what did i what do i learn from mm. from this experience yep. 
So that that's basically the story. That's basically yep. the story. So I really want me to share with you what I yeah, learned. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, is. I'd love to hear how you summarize what you learned from that. Okay. So when that then happened, I sat down. You know, it got to a point when these things were going on. I was somehow depressed. Okay. Because my hope was that when I start the business, because of the excitement, you know, I believed that everything was going to go smoothly. I was going to begin to make money and I would be able to stand on my own. But when it didn't turn out away, I somehow was slightly depressed. Okay. Mm. But somehow, I guess because I'm a very spiritual person, I kind of prayed about it. And somehow I had some peace and I, I started uh, going out to look for a job. Luckily for me, I started sharing with people that I need a job because things were no longer as rosy. My savings had depleted by that value and I didn't have any money. So somehow I finally got a job. I finally got a job, which was how I moved into, into HR. So I, I got a job in HR. But the lesson that I learned from that okay, was that when I look back, what are the mistakes that I made? I discovered that I did not, first of all, kind of size up the market to be sure that these people that I want to sell to will be willing to take on the product and mm. add it as part of their accessories, you know, to sell their cars. Yep. If I had known that they would not readily accept, maybe I would not have invested that much money. Then the other thing again is that I could have operated from my home, you know, instead of going to rent a fancy <laughs> shop. Because my, my expectation was that when you have this fancy looking office, everybody people will just keep coming and trooping in, you know. But I noticed that I could sit there for a week or maybe one or two people will just walk in. Uh-huh. And I had I printed flyers which I shared, but people were not really responding. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which showed that I wasn't talking to the right people or I didn't study the market very well to understand whether this is going to sell or not going to sell, you know? Mm. So that was the big lesson for me. Maybe I should have started from home instead of going to rent that office. Maybe I should have tidied up all the agreements, you know, have a, a bulk purchase order in place so that when the goods come in, I already have people who, were, who are waiting to pick them up. Not that the goods come in and then I'm now looking for people to pick them up and it takes a long time. The other thing I also learned is that, you know, when you want to establish a business relationship, especially a B2B kind of business relationship, it takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting that as soon as I speak to them, uh, it's a nice idea. Yes, I'm excited about the idea, but the person I'm selling it to, is he or she excited as much as I am? If they are not nothing will happen. And then even if they are excited, there are processes, there are procedures that they need to go through before that B2B relationship can be established. Those are some of the things that I learned from that experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is when you as an HR professional see someone coming in, applying for a job, and you see on their resume or they tell you that they had tried to do a startup, but they ended up you know, it didn't work out the way they plan. You know, for me, I find those people very valuable. Like yeah. they've learned some tough lessons. I'm just wondering, how do you look at people that come to you from an HR perspective when they've been through something similar to what you went through? Yeah, so what I usually will do is to ask them the lessons that they've learned from that. Because for every experience that we go through, 
we need to be able to pick out the lessons and the lessons should help us to become better in future. So if they're able to share what they've been able to learn from that experience and how they can avoid it going forward, then it means that they've really invested in themselves. So it wasn't a waste investment. I wouldn't say that as even though it's worst, it looks like if it's waste, you've learned how not to do it. So which means going forward, you become a better person. So like if you ask me now, I'm also trying to set up another business, but because of the lessons that I've learned from that experience, I'm setting up this business differently. And I'm certain that this one is going to work very well. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, if I uh, would just share some of the, my takeaways from it, I think the probably one of the most common things that I hear from people that are starting up businesses is they didn't test the market. And I think yes. a lot of people don't realize, you know, they don't. When I was young and I was studying university, I thought, oh, marketing's easy. It's simple. But what I learned is that marketing is actually really hard. And part of the challenge with marketing is that you are, you're doing two things. You're yes. testing the market. There's this sales aspect. But there's a second thing that you don't think about that much. And that's like, what is your marketing channel? Yeah, How are you going to yeah. get to the customer? You know, once you get to the customer, okay, now you've got to think about how do I convince that customer that this is right for them? And yes. that whole process of testing and iterating, I'm always, I always admire people who start off their business with this kind of iteration process because I think in my business startups, I've pretty much done like you've done. I had my idea. I thought it was a great idea. I went into it with both feet. And next thing you know, I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should have started differently. <laughs> yeah. I want to uh, think about, I want you just to think for a moment, because I know that some of my listeners are in a situation where they're caught up in the excitement of starting up a new business. Uh, they see a lot of opportunity, but they listen to your story and they think, well, well I don't want to end up like that. So based mm -hmm. upon what you learn from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Okay, so the one action that I would recommend is before starting any business at all, you need to do a test, okay? I'm trying to set up a coaching business now. Mm. And what am I doing? I'm testing the market, get a small group, try to offer a service that I intend to offer the larger market, test it, tweak it, test, tweak, okay? Until I'm certain that, okay, this is now ready to go before I launch out and scale it. So mm. you need to test the markets, which was one thing I didn't do. I didn't go to, because I knew I wanted to sell to car companies, car dealers, I should have gone to see, test and see, will it work? You know, if it wouldn't work, then I should have done something instead of stocking up and then expect that when I go to them, they will pick it up. So testing the market is one idea that I would ask anyone who wants to start small, Tests, just do a pilot, you know, don't make so much noise. Don't let people know that that is what you're really doing, but you just keep testing the market. And when you are sure that everything is working, like in my coaching business, I'm trying to do now, what am I doing? I'm coaching people privately 
quietly, one-on-one, getting feedback, working with them to see whether what I'm working with them is going to work out. So for those that it has worked out for, for some, it didn't work out. So I'm also learning the lessons. Okay, these are the things I need to avoid. Okay, for those that it worked out for, I've also looked through to see what did I do right. Mm. And so I've picked these two lessons. That's what I'm going to put together. And then eventually when I launch out, it becomes something that is solid and it's going to work for everyone. Yeah, it's great advice. And, um, you know, I have the Valuation Masterclass and I've been teaching it. Basically, I stopped teaching at university for equity valuation about five or seven years ago. And I started putting it online and it, it did pretty well online. But I came up with a theory that maybe people want something more intensive. So I thought, how about if we try the boot camp, make it really tough and intensive? And of course, I get these ideas in my head, but that doesn't mean that they're good ideas. They're just good ideas in my head. But I basically said, and this is an important element of it, it's not just iterating the product, it's iterating the price. And I basically yes. said, I said, I think we charged about 500 US dollars. And I said, okay. I'm going to offer this boot camp. It was in the middle of the pandemic. So we were kind of in lockdown in Thailand. I thought, I know I'm going to be home. And we are allowed to have gatherings up to 20 people. I said, I'm going to offer boot camp for eight people in my home for six weeks. And sure enough, I got eight people, each of them paid. And I took care of them for six weeks. And we developed the curriculum as we were going. And I had already had most of the curriculum done. But we developed the activities. We developed everything. And then we graduated these eight people. And it went really well. And then I I went out to say, okay, I'm going to do it again. But what I found was I just didn't get as much of a response. And it started making me think maybe the market's not there right here in Thailand. And it kind of, then then the government went through another lockdown. I thought, I have to go global. So I decided then to take it online. And now I'm in week five of a six week boot camp. We've got 20 some students as well as one from Nigeria, in fact, in the group. And we've iterated through the material now a second time, made it much better. And now we're really ready to launch to the bigger world. And each time we launch at a little bit higher price, try to get more people in there. And that is important about iterating with price. Yes, yes. That's a good good idea. That's a good idea. So last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Uh, My number one goal for the next 12 months, like I said, I'm building a coaching business. So my goal is the next 12 months to at least have coached over a thousand either leaders or career transition, career or job seekers. So my focus is on future leaders and job seekers, okay? People who want to move from the level they are now to a leadership role. So I hope that in the next 12 months, I would have coached over a thousand uh, wow. professionals. Yeah, that's my and goal for the next 12 months. I, I want some of my listeners to uh, to contact you about that. What is the best way for them to, to reach out? I'll have all the links in the show notes. Where Where is the best yes. place? So LinkedIn is the best place to reach out to me. Send me a message and email on email on LinkedIn. So whether you're connected to me or you're not connected to me, you can you have the ability to send me an email on LinkedIn. So we can then take the conversation from there. Fantastic. So All if, right. you are, if you are 
a job seeker or a future leader, you're looking for a way to be able to leverage whatever potential that you have to land your dream job or to move into a leadership role, then I'm the coach that you are looking Fantastic. for. Fantastic. Yeah. So you got, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, just go to his LinkedIn and you'll see, and I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now. It says E okay. and Michael. <laughs> But I'll yes, have the links in the show time. notes. So all you have to do, ladies and gentlemen, come to the show notes, click on the LinkedIn, and you will go there. Well, yeah. listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To do this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And when you join, you get that special discount to my Valuation Masterclass Boot Camp. As we conclude, EM, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Parting words is keep hope alive. Don't give up. It might look rough now, but it will look better tomorrow. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on The Upside.